All right, now we have the pleasure of hearing from Mr. Reg Noland, and he'll be giving a message entitled Day 49 and the Gifts from God. Does anyone know what day it is, as the camel would say? Uh, no, it's day 49. And the day before God bestows the humanity, the gifts of the Feast of the Pentecost. In our tradition, um, those gifts took two forms. The gift of the Ten Commandments, the law, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now think back. Try to imagine yourself on day 49. The day before Israel too was to receive each of these gifts from God. Remember that they came down as a gift from heaven. But also remember that the Israelites had been in captivity for, or at least down in Egypt, for at least 420 years, most of that in captivity. So they had largely forgotten everything. They had forgotten the Sabbath. They had to be reminded of that with the manna. They had forgotten all the holy days. We know the holy days were in existence. We know that the law was in existence long before they ever went down into um, uh, Israel, into Egypt, because Cain sinned. And in order for there to be sin, there has to be a law to break, right? In order for that to happen. So we know the law has been in existence since the beginning of time, almost. But uh, they had largely forgotten that. We know also that the uh, feast had been in existence because Abraham, the, 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 the uh, near sacrifice of Isaac, uh, occurred on, the, um, Pen on Passover, if I remember correctly. And he walked among the, the coals there. So all of these were in existence long before. However, uh, as I said, the Israelites had been in Egypt so long that they had forgotten most of it. Now, try to think back on this uh, uh, as we're going along. So when Moses led the children out of Israel on, on the, uh, what would have been the uh, wave sheaf offering day, um, he, he alone would probably have been expecting something to happen on Pentecost. The rest of them probably would have had no idea what was coming. So it would be a complete surprise for them. Try to imagine yourself back on day 49, the day before Israel was to receive these gifts from God. Remember that each of these gifts is a gift that came down from heaven. Now, today I would like to establish our tradition as something convincingly grounded in Scripture and will explore the significance of these two gifts with respect to human self-knowledge. I would like to acknowledge a debt of gratitude to Lucille first who pointed me to in the right direction when I could not find an explicit uh, declaration that God gave us the law on the day of Pentecost and also to be fair of our elders Barnabas uh, did respond to my query and reported the same conclusion that I had reached earlier um, that there is no overt co uh, connection between the giving of the law and Pentecost rather that the historical documents link Pentecost with the agricultural festival only and that the rabbis did not use P Pentecost as a commemoration of the giving of the Torah until after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD after Pentecost had lost a lot of its uh, power at the spring harvest festival so thanks to Barnabas there as well ultimately though I had to do all the scriptural research on my own so the first part of my message is what was in the bulletin here um, in two parts uh, and I'll do both parts today uh, God delivers the law to Israel if the deliverance of the law occurred on Pentecost as 
is our tradition, then it had to have occurred exactly 50 days after the morrow following the weekly Sabbath after Passover. That's the wording. Let's look at that wording specifically. Uh, in Leviticus 23, uh, verses 15 and 16. Okay. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf uh, of the wave offering. Seven Sabbaths shall be completed. The day is the seventh Sabbath. Count 50 to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. Now Passover always occurs on the 14th day of Nisan or Abed. Abed. Uh, it's the night of the full moon. Um, which happens to be also the day that the uh, firstborn of the Israelites were, uh, of the Egyptians were killed. And it also happens to be the day that our Lord went through all the trials and was executed on, on the following morning. Uh, let's verify that. Uh, Leviticus 23 verses 5 and 6. On the 14th day of the first month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread to the Lord. Seven days you shall you eat unleavened bread. We know this. Uh, we, see, we celebrate this every year. Assuming that the configuration of the Passover week was the same as the configuration of Crucifixion Week, then the day of preparation for the Passover would have occurred on Tuesday night and Wednesday day. The feast of Passover, that is to say the night to be much observed, and the first day of unleavened bread would have occurred on Wednesday night and Thursday day, and the morrow after the Sabbath, the wave sheaf offering, they would have, uh, would have occurred on the 18th day of the first month, a Sunday by today's reckoning, incidentally. And the day, uh, uh, and incidentally also the day that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry land. Do you realize that? So they came out of Egypt on the wave sheaf offering day. All right, uh, Brian, if you've got that uh, uh, image. Okay, good. All right, good. Okay, so here I have, I put together basically a little calendar just to show you. Uh, so here is, uh, this would have been Tuesday night. Uh, so Tuesday night and Wednesday day, that would be the day of preparation. Wednesday day and uh, Wednesday night and Thursday would have been the feast of the Passover, as it's called, or the first day of unleavened bread. Here's Friday as a day in between. Here's the Sabbath of that week, and here is the day after the Sabbath. This would have been then our wave sheaf offering day. That's on 18. All right. Now then, let's see what the day on the Hebrew calendar. Each month has either 29 or 30 days. Therefore. 50 days after the morrow on the Sabbath following Passover would place Pentecost during the third month, which is Sivan, S-I-V-A-N, at the beginning of the second week, but not on Sabbath, uh, Sivan 6 as Judaism currently celebrates it, which Vance Stinson, if we've got some of our articles over here, he did a wonderful debunking of that idea in his article on the same topic. Uh, more specifically, after the 13 days, so let's see, here we are. So we've got 13, there's a full week. And six more days so to take us to nice and 30. And there's 13 days worth of time passed there. Then for uh, Lyar, which is the uh, second month in the Hebrew calendar, we've got 29 days. And then eight more days into Sivan takes us up to Pentecost. All right, so if you wanted to see what, what the calendar would have looked like for that particular time, that gives you a nice visual to uh, represent it. Okay. Uh, yes, my research then 
Is this configuration justified by the, spiritual, uh, by the scriptural record? My research indicates that it is. In fact, we find the Israelites camp at the base of Mount Sinai exactly on the day of Pentecost. Turn to Exodus 19, verses 1 through 2. Okay? In the third month, that's Simon, uh, after the children of Israel had gone out of the uh, land of Egypt, on the same day, notice that, on the same day, uh, the same day they came into the wilderness, like that, okay? Um, for they had departed from uh, Rephaim, Rephidim and come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. They landed at the foot of Mount Sinai on the 50th day uh, following their exodus. They landed there on Pentecost. What follows in Exodus 20 is God's verbal contract with Israel in which he lays down the law, literally, uh, and ordinances to the uh, children of Israel, promising that he would be their God and that they would be their people if they would obey the laws that he had given them. Did you ever notice that the first recitation of the law was not one written in stone? It was a verbal agreement, a verbal contract between God and the children of Israel. It, it came from God himself. Him speaking to the Israelites. It was a verbal covenant, not one written in stone tablets. Of course, the cowering Israelites were frightened by the thunder of God's voice, by the lightning and the fire and the smoke and the shaking of the earth, and they asked Moses to be the spokesman. I can imagine the scene. Can you? Uh, imagine the scene. They, here's God speaking to them. There's thunder, there's lightning, there's fire, there's smoke. The earth is shaking from the volcano as well. And they're, they're uh, cowering in the dust, uh, just, just, just scared, knees knocking, shaking in their boots, the whole thing uh, here. Uh, and uh, one of them comes up to Moses and uh, says, Moses, old buddy, old chum. Uh, how about you going up and uh, uh, speak for, to uh, God uh, and be our spokesman? We don't, want to, we don't want God to speak to us directly. So Moses uh, gradually says, sure. Remember, Moses had a stammer. Uh, so it's kind of ironic they would choose him to be their spokesman, to speak with God, but that's a whole other story. Um, he agreed to be their intercessor with God. So he goes up and gets the law from God, comes back down and reads it to the people. And this is not yet in stone, so be aware of that. Uh, Exodus 24, 7, he took the book of the covenant. So apparently there was a book of the covenant and read in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has done, we will do and be obedient. So the contract was confirmed by both parties. The contract was confirmed by both parties. However, soon after this agreement, Moses leaves the camp and ventures up in the mountain to commune with God and to receive the commandments written into the ta tablets of stone by the finger of God himself. And he was gone a long time, probably receiving the details of the law and the instruction from God on how to judge and lead the Israelites. Look at this on page, or sorry, on Exodus 24:18. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. What started my whole um, topic, this whole topic, was that I was running into a chronology problem. 
Uh, I was envisioning that uh, the day of Pentecost would have occurred when Moses was coming down from the mount. But that ran into a major, major time problem because if that were the case and he were on the mount for 40 days, that would have left only nine days before for everything to have happened. That includes the, the, the manna, the quail, the, the water out of the rock, the, uh, uh, all of the events that happened would have had to be compressed in the nine days. That's not possible. There's just not enough time for that to happen. So he could, uh, the Pentecost could not have occurred when Moses was coming down from the mountain after the 40 uh, days that he spent up there. It had to occur when they arrived at, uh, at uh, Mount Sinai before Moses went up to the mountain. So that, that was my impetus for doing this whole thing. After a while, the Israelites began to wonder what had happened to them. But they dare not set foot on the mountain lest they be struck dead by God. Some thought that Moses had died on the mountain and they were ready and willing to return into the slavery of Israel of Egypt rather than to risk the, uh, going through the desert without a leader, without the guidance that, uh, of God through this leader. In fear, they fashioned an idol, a golden calf. Now, bulls were fertility symbols for many of the Middle Eastern countries, including both Israel, Egypt and Mesopotamia. And they were going to use this golden calf then to lead them back into slavery. Even Aaron, Moses' brother, was complicit in the idolatry, but he repented when Moses returned alive. Aaron was, at best, an expedient leader, bending to the pressure of the people. Um, Israel had honored their contract with God for less than six weeks. Less than six weeks. Indeed, it took less than six weeks for humanity, for human carnality to emerge victorious over the best of good intentions and over the eyewitness experiences of the miracles that they received from God. The plagues from Egypt, the crossing of the Red Sea, the giving of the manna, the water from the rock, the quail that flew over by night, the sandals that didn't wear out, and to even up to a meeting with God himself. All that, how quickly they forget. How quickly they forget. However, not all were so shallow. Indeed, the judges, the wise kings, the psalmists, the prophets and the apostles all rejoice in the magnificence of God's law. Paul, in his letter to Galatians, calls the law our schoolmaster, giving us guidance until the Holy Spirit arrives. Galatians 3:24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified in faith. And the psalmist, the psalmist lauds the law with the highest of praise. It's starting in Psalm 119. Uh, the, in fact, the whole Psalm 119 is devoted to the law, but here's a, a capsule um, a part of it. As Psalm 119, verses 97 through 106 says, Oh, how I love thy, oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, has made me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. For thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancient because I keep thy pro, uh, precepts. I have refrained my feet from evil ways that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgment for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding and therefore I hate every false way. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
I have sworn and I will perform it that I will keep thy righteous judgment. So, what makes the law so special that it should garner such high praise? After all, it's just a set of rules, isn't it? Mostly prohibition. Okay. Well, no, really, it's much more than that. The law provides us with a special kind of knowledge that is otherwise inaccessible to humankind. It is a knowledge of how to make life and society work for the good of all, revealed to us by our creator himself. This is knowledge that we could not get otherwise. We can gain much human knowledge without the law. With, through observation and experimentation, we can acquire scientific knowledge. Through logic and reasoning, we can, from basic definitions, we can deduce all of uh, mathematic, uh, mathematical knowledge. Procedural and operations manuals provide us with engineering and maintenance knowledge. Accurate and uh, objective reporting of events provide us with a good historical record thanks to a free press. But knowledge of the human heart and how to live peaceably together has always been elusive for us as human beings. For we tend to lie to ourselves just to maintain good self-esteem. How many of you are upset with all the esteem uh, programs that we have today? The positive affirmations and things that, oh, I'm so good, I'm, I'm, I'm wonderful. If you have to tell yourself that there's something wrong, you're special because you are a child of God. Not, um, you don't, not that you have to tell yourself that. Negative statements, automatic negative thoughts, yeah, they can be destructive. But you really have to tell yourself how great you are? Uh, uh, we are instead um, deceitful. We lie to ourselves. Jeremiah 17 verses 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Lord, I the Lord search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways according to the fruit of his doing. Now in contrast Consider the law of God as a gift of guidance that brings about inner peace. Hear what wise King Solomon has to say uh, about the relationship between law, wisdom, and happiness. We've got several of his Proverbs and one from the Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to read them because they are self-evident or self-explanatory. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They won't listen to anyone else. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my command. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Um, Proverbs uh, 3, verses 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, like so many of our politicians do today. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Proverbs 12.1 Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. And that's the word they use. Stupid. I can't agree more. Um, Ecclesiastics 12 verse 13. This is Solomon's summation of all of this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Okay. So we've got a good 
established pretty good scriptural uh, confirmation that the law was given on the day of Pentecost. So they landed right at that point and God spoke to them directly. Second uh, occurrence of Pentecost that we have, which is probably the most famous, is when God gives the Holy Spirit to his church. The most famous Pentecost recorded in Acts 2 occurred in 31 AD by our current reckoning of time, exactly 50 days after Christ's uh, resurrection, shortly before sunset on the immediate previous Sabbath evening. Hence, Christ became our wave sheaf offering. Do you realize that? He's our our wave sheaf offering. And the process of waving the the sheaf is waved up and down as a symbol of his resurrection of rising to heaven, not back and forth, left and right. Okay. Um, he He is our wave sheaf offering the first fruits of the grave. However, Christ was not physically present on the day of Pentecost in 31 AD because he had already ascended to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. Hence, there was a 10-day interval between Christ's ascension and Pentecost. Luke records Christ's instructions to his apostles to, his apostles to remain in Jerusalem until Pentecost. This is in Luke 24, uh, verses 49 to 53. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with the power from on high. And he led them as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. The actual ascension is recorded in Acts 1. Since Luke wrote both his uh, gospel and the Acts as well, this is a continuation of his thought as an eyewitness. Um, When they were therefore come, this is in Acts 1, verses 6 through 11. When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, uh, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now they couldn't do that if they couldn't speak the language, could they? Hence the the upcoming. They had no idea what was coming. All they knew was something great was going to happen. But can you imagine the excitement on day 49, right before the day of Pentecost? As they knew something was going to happen, but they didn't know what. Okay. Um, then he had spoken these things uh, uh, while they beheld, and he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of, uh, out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, uh, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into the heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up 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 from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Luke continues in Acts 2 to record the arrival of the gift of the Holy Spirit. When the day, this is Acts 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So in a Honda maybe, no. Uh, And suddenly there was a a sound from heaven as of a great rushing mighty wind. And it filled the house where uh, where they were sitting. Then they uh, appeared 
Then there appeared to them uh, divided tongues as a fire, and one sat each uh, one sat upon each of them, and they were uh, all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together. And they were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled and saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in, in which we were born? Uh, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, uh, Pontius and Asia, uh, Phrygia and uh, Pamphylia, uh, Egypt and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, um, visitors from Rome with Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one, one another, whatever could this mean? Here we see a real miracle. Much more than merely people speaking with glossolalia, Speaking in tongues, like you, the um, Assembly of God people do. They roll around and speak in tongues and handle snakes and all sorts of things of this nature. Uh, it's much, much more than that. For here we have not just the speaking, but the hearing. And it's the hearing that really, really uh, amazes me. Because uh, we are hearing the message of the plan of God among different uh, people of different languages. That the message of salvation might go out to the entire world. Obviously, the apostles could not be speaking in multiple languages at the same time, for that would just be chaos. And we know that God is not the uh, God of chaos. He's not the author of chaos. Yet the audience heard them speaking, each in his native language. The only way for that to happen is for the barriers of language that existed um, from Babel forward were to be removed and for each member of the audience to have direct mind-to-mind -mind connection with the speakers and with one another. That would be tantamount to a universal translator or mental telepathy, whichever way you want to look at it. But what happened there was miraculous, for it was by this method, by this hearing of the word, that they were able to take the word into all parts of the world. So, type and anti-type. So here we see two Pentecost celebrations separated by about 1,500 years. What do they have in common? Both occurred exactly 50 days, seven Sabbaths and one day after the wave sheep offering inclusive. But both depict a gift of God coming down from heaven upon his chosen people. Both gifts are gifts of guidance. That's important. Both are gifts of guidance. The law to guide us in the first part and the Holy Spirit inside us to guide us like that little whispering voice that tells us, don't go that way. Turn this way. Turn that way. Um, they're both are gifts of guidance to benefit God's people, giving us insight into knowledge of ourselves that we could not otherwise obtain. Both gifts united God's people at least temporarily. So, today is day 49. Tomorrow is Pentecost. What is our state of mind? Are we merely going about our daily lives as usual? Are we filled with excitement and anticipation for the gift that we have been promised of God? Let us be ready. Or who knows what the next Pentecost might bring.